weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to Andrew and Africa for the afternoon entertainment. It is Tuesday, November 7th. I am Shane Dawson and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, Paul Corey and Mark Langdon will reflect on Chelsea's triumph over Spurs as well as previewing tonight's Champions League clashes. The Irish women's basketball team are preparing for a tough test against France this weekend. So we'll be speaking to head coach James Weldon and Flomax Liffey Celtics on you, O'Connor. We'll also be chatting about the remarkable run of Porrick Harrington in the company of golf writer Brian Keogh. As always, if you want to have your say, just send us a text, 5-1. 552 is the number. Game on on 2FM. Yes, hello there, good evening. Hope you're having a, a great day wherever in the world you are tuning in from. A couple of news headlines to get through first before we chat to uh, Paul Corey and then get into basketball, golf and indeed finish with soccer. Uh, Munster Rugby has confirmed Orgy Snyman is facing another long spell on the sidelines as he prepares for surgery in South Africa on a chest shoulder injury later this week. Snyman's blow comes just days after confirmation that out half Joey Carberry is likely to be out of action for a few months after his injured uh, wrist against Benetton uh, recently. Meanwhile, Jean Klein is expected back for training on November 20th. His contract is up at the end of the season, though Graham Roundtree has said his retention uh, as a player is complicated by the fact he is now a non-Irish qualified player. Reports in France this week have suggested top 14 side Lyon are interested in acquiring his services. A 96-week ban has been proposed for Tullamore football player who pushed a referee uh, to the ground. RTE Sport understands. Barry Tiernan was knocked to the ground after officiating Tullamore's defeat to Summerhill in a Leinster Club Championship game on the 22nd of October. Tiernan was approached by a number of supporters before being pushed by someone who has been identified as a Tullamore Gaelic football player who hadn't been uh, playing on the day. Tullamore are con- contemplating requesting a hearing and the case could be taken to the disputes resolution authority. Um, okay, update you on two ongoing Champions League matches that Paul Corey is going to be keeping an eye on. Uh, on for us, I should say, Dortmund Newcastle. Paul is nil all at the moment with 19 minutes played, and likewise Shakhtar Donetsk Barcelona is nil nil as well. Um, Paul, this is going to lead me into a final headline. Uh, that you weren't expecting. What were you? What were you at for the day? Were you watching a cricket World Cup by any chance? <laughs> I wasn't. No, no? I was too no. busy at work. Well, you missed out. You should have had it on. There's iPhones and iPads. I'm sure work wouldn't mind. You missed out one of the greatest sporting performances in the history of sport, Mr. Glenn Maxwell. He arrived at the crease to face a hat-trick ball after Australia slumped to 91 for 7 in pursuit of 292 in, in Mumbai. He was dropped twice, struggled with a back injury and cramp, but played on a remarkable innings. Played on with one leg post-century to finish on 201, not out. He shared a 202 stand with Pat Cummins as Australia won, but 19 balls to spare. Bloody Commitment. Come, even a casual cricket fan must appreciate such heroics. I'm correct in saying Afghanistan are going quite well. They are. They are a surprise package. Mm. Like, not to be uh, with my hyperbole statements here of the greatest ever sporting achievement by Glenn Maxwell, but Afghanistan could be the greatest story of of the whole summer in terms of sport as well, given the run in the the Cricket World Cup. But people (laughs) may disagree. 51552 is the text number. Um, Paul, you are going to be keeping an eye on the football. We're going to be chatting uh, soccer in detail uh, later on. Uh, Dortmund Newcastle ongoing at the moment. How do you envisage this one going, Paul? It's really tight. It's quite cagey. It's very similar to what I guess the game at St James's Park was like um, in the first fixture between these two sides. And you would imagine that if if either side is to win, it's going to be by a fine margin. And you know when the groups were drawn, this was absolutely the one to look out for, and mm. it's certainly playing out that way. Just when you see how tight the teams are in this group, a result tonight for Newcastle would be massive. But 
you kind of have to fancy Dortmund at home just with the players that they have the form that they're in I know they were beaten well by Bayern on the weekend but they've still got such a good squad and uh, it's going to be a really interesting one to, to see how it pans out just because like I mentioned the group is so so tight OK you'll be keeping an eye on that and we'll check in with you in due course Paul thank you very much Game on on 2FM now it is time to chat basketball because Ireland begin their uh, Women's Euro Basket 2025 qualifiers at home to world number seven France so starting off with an extremely tough test Ireland head coach James Weldon uh, could hand uh, debuts to three players Euro Basket debuts that is to three players when France visit the National Basketball Arena for the opening game uh, of this qualifying campaign this Sunday guards Jessica Scannell and Kate Hickey along with Ford Lauren Homan are included uh, in James's final 12 person squad and I'm delighted to say that James himself is on the line along with uh, Anya O'Connor one of uh, Irish basketball stars as well um, thank you both very much uh, for taking the call as we uh, look forward to what is going to be some match uh, and some contest Anya if, if I come to you first listen as I mentioned there world number 7 probably one of the highest ranked teams ever to play in Ireland how much are you and, and the whole squad looking forward to this challenge? Yeah, it's um it's a huge it'll be a huge game for us, uh, having France coming over here. Um, we're under no illusion how good they are, how strong they are. They've picked up bronze at the most recent tournament. They got bronze in the last Olympics. So I guess it's as big a matchup as we'll face. Um and we're looking forward to being here in the arena on Sunday against them. What's the mood like amongst the, the group ahead of such a, an encounter? Um, probably a bit of excitement. Um you know, these challenges don't come up all that often. Um, they're the top seed in our group, so it's yeah, it's gonna be a huge challenge for us, but I guess we want to play we want to play against these kind of teams and see how we can perform against them. Yeah, James, is that kind of even from your point of view, from the the coaching aspect as well, these are the teams you want to test yourself against and prepare for? Absolutely, yeah. I suppose um, you know, we we've kinda of made that step up from small countries, um over two and a half years ago now at this stage and, and we had the, the 2023 qualifiers you know over the last two years so you know look I mean we didn't have a number one seed in our group the last time because of the the, the conflict in uh, Belarus and Russia um, so Ukraine sorry so um, you know this is just a great opportunity to measure ourselves against one of the best teams in, in, in Europe like you know Bigger picture James does this kind of typify what your plan was when you first came on board like if we go back all the way to the start of 2019 um, like you guys held a, a meeting um, in the National Sports Campus in Abbottstown and kind of just had everyone together and said listen we want to be the best we can be we want the plan we want to train and we want to develop as well and the development now is going to come this Sunday and, and see what we're up against yeah I suppose that was kind of one of the main purposes of that meeting you know we we had a kind of a very good core of uh, young players coming through that had kind of medals in the B division at you know under 18 and on, under 20 level and um, you know the, the the team was there was a lot of good players in the National League as well that had kind of missed those on opportunities when the, the team was you know out of competition you know through the the financial problems uh, within the association you know after 2009 so we just felt the kind of hunger was there you know and the the group of players were there and um, you know look it's been a 
it's been a process like you know it, it's it, it's 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 a learning process all the time for the coaching staff and for the players um, but you can't kind of buy the experience that playing the likes of France with the players that they have and the, the level they're playing at professionally um, is going to be another huge step in the right direction for, for basketball uh, particularly with the, the women's team and it will be a you know a great opportunity for Irish basketball fans to see such a high level team on home soil Is it a case then of you will get better by playing better opposition I know I know it sounds very simplistic but, but that kind of must be the mantra I absolutely like you know I suppose uh, anytime you it's a bit of a cliche you put yourself outside your comfort zone um, you know you, you sink or swim and, and you know so far you know the team has kind of done really well with the, the tests of the last qualifying campaign you know we would have had Czech Republic in our group who you know just missed out on a semi-final place in the last tenth of a second in the quarter-final of Eurobasket this summer and you know, like we would have went kind of toe to toe with them in, in Prague last February, uh, and would have gained a lot of respect from you know very very high level uh, setups in, in the likes of the Czech Republic and Netherlands. You know, Anya, that kind of journey that that James was was speaking about there, like that only works if there's buy-in from the players, and there seems to be genuine buy-in from the whole group about this journey that that you guys are on. Yeah, well, like when you can see year on year the progress we're making, and like. The, the gaps that are like decreasing between us and the top teams like it's easy to buy in when you can see um, the progress like you might necessarily always see it on the scoreboard but um, no the team is fully bought in we know it's going to be a huge challenge but it's where we want to be we don't want to be playing in small countries and does that start from the ground up in terms of the domestic league and, and like I know um, you've had a, an unbeaten start to the to the season with uh, Flomax Liffey Celtics but is is the standard improving year on year in that as well? Yeah, I think it is. Um, like there's people challenging for spots on the national team, and I know James is watching what's going on. So, yeah, people are always pushing each other week in, week out because you want to be on form, obviously each week with your club, but you want to be ready when the international break comes around. I know there's a couple of players um, that are playing overseas as well. Is there a push to try and drive standards domestically that perhaps players don't have to go outside of Ireland on you to to, to pursue careers? Um, yeah, I guess we only have one, one player, or two players at the moment playing overseas. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Irish girls, I guess, we haven't explored going overseas that much. So the standard has improved here and we want it to keep getting even higher so that we don't have to go away to play at that level. James, given the tests that, that France will bring, like, listen, you know, the incredible streak that Ron and Oanya was kind of speaking about it there, I think, like meddling at each of the last eight euro baskets is, is phenomenal phenomenal stuff really so so how do you approach this then like tactically from a management point of view yeah I suppose look uh, the last two or three weeks my wife has been killing me to stop looking at uh, the French and look more than my own team um, and, and you know what my wife's a clever woman so um, we, we very much kind of really just have to focus and just give ourselves um, you know uh, performance targets that you know, that we as a group feel that we can hit and, you know, and, and take it from there. Like, you know, um, look, our record at home has been very good, but this is a step up again. And, and you know, um, you know, I, I'm sure, look, anybody that's come to the arena will, will see a team that's going to give it 110% as, as they always do. And, um, you know, like, like we said, it, it's, it's, 
it's just such a, a great opportunity and uh, one we're, we're hugely excited about. Anya, is, is this a case that you want to feed off the occasion and feed off the, the home crowd or is it kind of just parking all the, the razzmatazz and the stars that France have and just focus on yourselves, focus on it and kind of strip it all back to just a, a, a contest that can be very challenging but is there to, to succeed in? Yeah, like it's always great to play in a, in a packed arena. We get great support but at the end of the day, it's a basketball game. Um, it's us against who they can put on the floor. So you try not to focus on what level they play at week in, week out and what we can bring and like, can we cause an upset at the weekend? Um, that's kind of what we'll be focusing on. Where can we kind of find gaps in the way they play and ex- try and exploit them as best as we can? Has James been plaguing you all with, with video analysis now over the, over the past few weeks? <laughs> um, James has a good uh, staff with him so yeah we've got a lot of video come through from the different members of his staff yeah, over the last few weeks What have you learned about the, the French side so on you? Oh god they're very good they're, <laughs> they're really really good but um, there has been clips come through where there's kind of how they play defence where we might be able to find you know opportunities uh, to exploit their weaknesses not that there's very many weaknesses but I guess we have to be with, like as prepared as we can be to try find any small hole that they might have. Now, I don't want you giving away your hand just yet, James, in, in, in fear that some French basketball fans might be listening in here, but, but what is the kind of plan of attack? How will you try and unnerve them? Yeah, I suppose, look, um, we have to really just try and keep ourselves in the game as long as possible and, and just get them kind of, I guess, uh, understanding that they're in a game and, and, you know, that they can't kind of take us for granted and, and show us a bit of respect that we probably deserve and I look I also think that you know at this level and with the quality of team they, they have like you know that you're probably going to have to give up something and you know I think we, we just have to be as tight and as compact as possible and it was something that served us well in the, in the Dutch game up to a point you know and um, you know so you know it's, it's, it's a difficult challenge um, challenge that way but you know like I said, it is all part of the process of, of learning to play at this level. Like you know, how important will the home crowd be in, in your your mind, James? I think I think they're huge. Like you know, I think I've, I I think when we played our first Eurobasket qualifier against the, the Czech Republic over two years ago, now um, we had played the Dutch away on the Thursday, and you know uh, we we're coming back, and I think I underestimated how great the fans are and. What, what a kind of a lift a packed arena can give you and you know um, it was very something we really pushed in for the, the Netherlands game at home and you know I did say to the players in between you know like a lot of the players that you know that played high level here and they played in cup finals and you know you just have half the crowd supporting one team half the crowd supporting the other team but you know when you play for Ireland at home it's the whole crowd's behind you and uh, you know even during the summer we played Austria and wasn't quite a sellout but it was a kind of an electric atmosphere as well and they're just kind of special nights and they're as close you know I suppose for the players like it's as close as the cup final you know and playing against um, against these crowds or playing in front of these mm. crowds against this type of team and um, you know look uh, you know besides one or two of our players, all our players are amateurs. They all have day jobs or students. So I think this is kind of a, a reward for them in one sense that they get to play in these types of games in front of packed arenas, you know.
Absolutely, it really shows the, the journey that you guys have, have been on. Um, Anya, final word to yourself then. Um, so obviously, huge match this Sunday, uh, live in TG Carr as well, uh, at home to France. Um, you were due to, to, to play Israel uh, on Thursday, but that's been postponed provisionally then. It's it's in for February of next year. Uh, Latvia are in the group as well. So how do you rate your chances in, in general terms within this qualifying group? Um, well, obviously, we're the, the lowest seed in the group, but you'd be hoping that, you know, this is going to be a tough game this weekend, that we can take whatever learnings out of this weekend, bring them into the next window next year. We'll be playing uh, Latvia. We'll be still have Latvia to play home and away. Um, then whatever, whenever the Israel game is rescheduled, if it's rescheduled, and France again. So it's a long window. Um, and we can only just take it game, game by game and hopefully that whatever happens this weekend, that we'll learn from it and be able to build on it. Mm. Okay, well, very best of luck come Sunday. Anya, James, thank you both very much for taking uh, the call. If you want to be at the match on Sunday, Ireland versus France, we will have a very special competition coming your way in two minutes' time. Game on on 2FM. Now... As promised before the break, we do have a pair of tickets to give away for Sunday's Women's Euro Basket Qualifier with France at the National Basketball Arena. If you want to win a pair of tickets to the not-to-be-missed event, just answer this simple question. Who is the Irish Women's Basketball Head Coach? Is it A, James Weldon, or is it B, James Bond? Simply send in your answer plus your name and number to 51552. Two. Now we will be chatting golf very shortly but Paul Corey you are keeping an eye on Dortmund versus Newcastle and there is a goal but to who? Yeah it's to Borussia Dortmund Shane it's not good news for Newcastle fans Dortmund took the lead after 26 minutes it was Sabitzer went down the line and pulled it back and Falkrig knocked it home to put Dortmund one up very even game uh, I said to you earlier on the show I fancy Dortmund to go on and win this game and you feel for Newcastle within that group that if they are to, to get out they probably need to get out of here with at least a point OK, 1-0 at the moment and it is 0-0 between Shakhtar Donetsk and Barcelona uh, in the other early kickoff, We will be previewing all of the Champions League uh, matches in detail. Uh, Paul's staying here and Mark Langdon will be joining us uh, in due course. Game on. Golf. But now it is time to chat golf and I'm delighted to say that golf writer Brian Kyo joins us uh, now. Brian, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. How's the form? All good, thank you very much. Yeah, everything good. Good, good, good. Uh, let us start our conversation chatting about Porrick Harrington because he has had another tournament success last weekend in the Timber Tech Championship. He's now set to be inducted in the World Golf Hall of Fame next year. What is it about Porrick Harrington that enables him to just keep on producing into the uh, latter years of his career? He just he just loves the game of golf, doesn't he? I mean, he just can't get enough of the game of golf. I think he got a little bit tired, perhaps, of you know, of tour life a few years ago when he wasn't playing so well and things are a bit of a struggle in his sort of, you know, mid to late 40s. But, uh, you know, he just decided to embrace it and embrace being back on the European tour with his pals, with Shane Lowry and guys like that and Paul Dunn when he was there. And, you know, he got a he got a, a sort of a second wind and he's really loving the the seniors golf as well because it keeps him so sharp for the uh, for the big stuff, for the for the main tour events and, and the majors, which he played so well in this year. Is is that, I suppose, as well, it, it's a huge factor that it sounds very simplistic when you kind of strip it all back, that, that he looks after himself, he minds himself. He, even when he was at the, the top of his game and in the peak of his career, that he was just, he's just an utter professional. 
yeah, total professional. He never stopped working, never stops. You know, he's, 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 he loves the game so much. He's got such an interest in how how things work and why they work. You know, he's the type of guy who, you know, if he was you know, Henry Ford type, he'd be taking the car apart and putting it back together again <laughs> to find out why why it works. That was always, you know, something that, that drove him. So, you know, he's... He's kept up with the new technology and, and driving distance and worked on his speed. And, and that's why he's so competitive still at 52, because he can hit the ball over 300 yards and, uh, you know, even compete with the, with the young guns. I mean, he was saying, you know, he was in the conversation for a possible Ryder Cup pick coming up to the, uh, the Open Championships. You know, this just shows you the... Uh, the level of the the level of the man, uh, really incredible, incredible yeah. sports person. And, and it's the hunger as well. Like I mean, just on that TimberTech uh, championship, like he won it by seven. So it wasn't a case of just like falling over the line in, in a playoff or anything. Like he birdied the last as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had a he had a four shot lead after you know after uh, seven holes, you mm. know, so seven eight holes, and uh, almost double bogey the ninth hole. He was down to two shots, so that sort of kept him on his toes for for a few holes. And uh, Bernard Langer dropped a few shots then on the back nine, and you know when the pressure was off, and uh, he you know, he birdied a hole in the middle of the back nine. He was five clear, and he just uh, trundled over the line and picked up a few birdies when when he was you know he had the tournament won. So uh, you know he was he was fully focused uh, on winning that. You know that's six wins now as a senior. You know five point one million as a senior uh, as a senior golfer. So uh, what's not to like? And he's he's in action again this week. Yeah, like it, it continues as well. Like the tournaments are coming thick and fast for for a man who, as I said, is, is certainly looking after himself. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got the the the, the final event of the season now, the Charles Schwab uh, Cup Championship, which he won by seven as well last year. You know, so he can't win the. Uh, the overall money title, Steve Stricker wrapped that up, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. But he can still win another, you know, half a million and and uh, get the uh, the earnings over the two point four million this year, which would be a which would be something else on the on the senior circuit. But yeah, he, I think he wants to just you know remain competitive for uh, for when he you know he gets back out on the main tour and uh, starts competing in those events because he still feels that uh, you know if he gets the right week, he could still have a chance of, of becoming the oldest winner on tour. Well, there's life in the old dog yet. Um, so it is great to see Power Carrington still dominating uh, sports headlines. Um, on kind of the opposite end of, of the spectrum then, Golf uh, Ireland has today confirmed that 20 players uh, will form the 2024 women's and men's high-performance uh, squads. Nine women and 11 men have been selected and they will form the backbone of Ireland's uh, international uh, squads for uh, next year. So loads of names uh, to, to kind of, not to go through each one, but like... Like in in general terms, what's the the production line like at the moment? Are we in good stead, Brian? Yeah, we are in good stead. You know, I think especially in you know, in the women's game, especially. I mean, we had a uh, you know a very strong amateur presence at the the Women's Irish Open uh, down in Dromolin Castle uh, in the summertime. There, you know, and you know with people like Beth Coulter, Anya Donegan. Um, you know, Sarah Byrne, Kate Lanigan, you know, all playing in the tournament, you know, and several of them made the cuts, you know, Beth and the, and Anya, uh, sorry, Beth and uh, Sarah Byrne uh, and Kate Lanigan all all made the cut and, uh, you know, finished in the top 50, which was a tremendous performance. And then the uh, the three girls who played in the uh, World Amateur Team Championship as well, you know, uh, they, uh, they performed remarkably well. So, you know, there's a lot of talent coming through, certainly, and uh, a lot of them are top uh, U.S. colleges as well, which uh, which bodes very well for the future. Is it fair to say that there's more talent coming through in the women's game than, than the men's game, or, or is that unfair? 
Uh, it's probably a little bit unfair. There's certainly, you know, we're probably lacking a little bit on the European tour at the moment in terms of, of players coming through. But we have a, you know, the followed final stage of qualifying school this week. So, the, you know, there's going to be a few guys there looking to, to get their uh, DP World Tour cards and join, uh, you know, the likes of Tom McKibben on the tour uh, next year. So, you know, we have some good players. We had obviously... Uh, you know, a, a very strong presence on the uh, on the Walker Cup team this year with uh, with four players. You know, two of those are now not in the uh, in the high performance men's panel for next year because uh, you know they'll be looking at the at the professional game. Alex Maguire and uh, Robert Moore are likely to be uh, to be looking at the professional game next year. You know, but you know Matt McLean, Liam, Liam Nolan, two two guys who were on the Walker Cup team. They they performed particularly well, and then a guy was you know. In with a chance of a World Cup place, Max Kennedy from Royal Dublin. He's uh, he's played uh, beautifully uh, in the US this year, winning uh, in Louisville. And uh, uh, Paul Paul Conroy from Enniscorthy as well, down in Chattanooga. He's another another winner over there uh, this year. And we've got you know a teenager from uh, Rogenstown, Sean Keeling. Uh, just 17 years of age, junior Ryder Cup player. You know he's uh, he's also been added to the to the men's senior squad, and he's a he's a tremendous talent. Uh, a lot of interest in in what he might do over the next few years. Okay, good stuff. Hopefully, these are names that we will continue to hear plenty of about uh, about. I should say at the top of golf uh, leaderboards. Uh, two final topics that I just want to kind of briefly pick your brain on, uh, Brian. Firstly, Ooh. the Fenway Sports Group has uh, had talks with the the PGA Tour about a potential partnership as questions arise about the proposed business agreement with. Saudi-funded Live Golf. Tom Werner, uh, the chairman of Liverpool uh, owners, the Fenway Group, confirmed as much in an interview Monday with CNBC's halftime report. He was flanked by PGA Tour star Rory McIlroy, who has spoken out often against Live. The two were on the show primarily to discuss the founding of TGL, the simulator golf league launched by Tiger Woods and uh, McIlroy himself. It is set to begin uh, in January, and Fenway owns the league's Boston franchise uh, named Boston um, Common. Like, it's hard to know how how detail these talks where they, they could have just been a couple of sentences for all we know but might we see more outside of the box thinking by the PGA Tour now to, to perhaps increase revenue in light of the of the Saudi back live golf creation which of course now is an ally somehow of the PGA Tour yeah I mean there's a there's a lot to be decided over the next while obviously it's the, that framework agreement which was announced on June the 6th you know D-Day ironically uh, you know, between um, the PIF and, and the PGA Tour, that that's supposed to be uh, the deadline for that being finalised is the thirty first of December. I mean, the indications are that there's no, it's nowhere near being uh, finalised at all. And the, the talks have been, uh, you know, very very slow to to materialise. And the PGA Tour has had uh, in, you know, interest from up to five private equity groups, uh, in, including you know Fenway Sports. So uh, you know those talks are going to continue uh, on well into well into next year, it would it would seem. But uh, it was interesting that Rory McIlroy did make the point that uh, you know he wants P, PIF, you know, involved somehow. You know, because if they're not involved, if the Saudis are not involved, well, you know, the game's going to remain fractured, and and the PIF and and live golf is going to be a, a disruptive influence on, on the game over over the next while. So uh, interesting to see uh, you know where things go from here. The PGA Tour certainly have plenty of uh, plenty of interest in, in in their product, and it's what a great time to be a player with uh, with all the money. Never mind the uh, the indoor sports uh, uh, simulator league that uh, Tiger and, and Rory have gotten off the ground as well. Just the money on the PGA Tour next year is. It's going to be absolutely enormous. Yeah, perhaps not one for the purists. Will this TGL be a success, do you think? 
I don't know. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly a 250,000 square foot venue and a 75 foot, 75 foot screen and timeouts and uh, uh, shot clocks and everything else. But it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how it goes. You know, they've got, I think they've got 15 of the top 20 players in the world. The world. You're mm. going to see Tiger Woods playing. We don't, we won't be seeing very much of him at all next year because of his injuries. So at least we will get to see Tiger playing. Shane Lowry has signed up for it as well. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what team he's on. Rory's up obviously on this this Boston common golf team with uh you know with uh, people like you know Terrell Hatton and uh, Adam Scott and uh and Keegan Bradley so it'll be interesting to see who who Shane ends up playing for you know they haven't announced all the uh the the, the teams and the mm. franchises and where the people will be playing but uh, it'll certainly be something to uh, to get the golf uh, golf anoraks uh, glued to the television on a Monday or Tuesday night over the winter before the uh, for the masters over these uh, these few events Absolutely. Okay, we'll leave it there for now. Brian Kyo, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. Um, stay with us. We are going to be chatting football because it's half time in the early kickoffs, and Dortmund lead Newcastle one 0 and Shakhtar Donetsk lead Barcelona by a goal to nil. Stay with us. Paul Curry and Mark Langdon are coming up. Game on. Football. Now you're very welcome back to Game On. Paul Curry and Mark Langdon are standing by to chat football. But before we chat football, we're feeling very generous here in Game On this evening. We have a pair of tickets to give away to the not-to-be-missed event in the National Basketball Arena on Sunday. It is, of course, Ireland women versus France in the Eurobasket at Qualifiers Ireland's first game of the campaign. Now, if you want to win a pair of tickets, well, it's very simple. Just answer this question. Who is the Irish women's head coach? Is it A, James Weldon, or is it B, James Bond? Simply send in your answer, plus your name, to 51552. It is that simple. Now, as I said, Paul Curry is still here. He's been keeping an eye on Newcastle Dortmund. Dortmund leading 1-0. Shakhtar Donetsk also lead 1-0 at home to Barcelona in the early Premier League kickoff, or sorry, in the early Champions League kickoffs. But we're going to start with chatting about Premier League because Mark Langdon was one of the lucky few to be at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in one of the wildest Premier League games that there has been in quite some time. For those of us that weren't as lucky as Mark Langdon, here's how it unfolded. That goal will be disallowed. There you go. Oh, Romero's on the ground and he's just kicked the back of Colwell. You can see it in the distance there. VAR having suggested that it was petulance, not violence. Romero out by Sado Pounced. It's Jackson, it's Sterling. Sterling's gone to ground, Romero partially out. Caicedo, Palmer. Oh! Terrific hit! Oh! <laughs> oh. The offside will find out about, but I'm going with the fact I think it's a penalty to Chelsea, irrespective of whether this goal, well, obviously this goal's allowed them play on. If this goal's disallowed, I think they should go back and look at the Romero challenge and give a penalty. Well, he is offside. Right. That's Paul a penalty. Man. Yeah, that's a penalty. Yeah, it's red. It's red. And Christian Romero walks. Come on! In off the post! Sterling has swerved into space. Jackson one way, Palmer the other. Raheem Sterling. We're told he got a heel on it. And then he got a bit on Sterling. And this could be a problem. Two yellows. And now for Tottenham, two reds. James, Sterling's in here, Jackson's with him, Raheem Sterling, Jackson scores, at last! Now Gallagher going the other way, 
and Spurs exposed. And Nicholas Jackson seals the deal. 94 minutes. Jackson's on a hat trick here, and Jackson has Mudrick for company. And Jackson keeps on going. And Jackson has three. Big, broad, single smile. Well, and you said there'd be bumps in the road, and sure enough, tonight there was one. But in all your time in football, have you ever known anything quite like that? Yeah, look, it's hard. It's pretty hard to process because it's uh, yeah, almost impossible to kind of analyse the game because, um, yeah, it just seemed to get out of control uh, through large parts of it. And, um, you know, yeah, you're, you're left obviously disappointed with the result, but just really proud of the players' efforts, you know. Um, you know, they, they gave everything and I guess um, that's the positive we'll take out of it. I felt like I was standing around waiting for things to happen most of the game, you know, with VAR intervention and it just, just felt like, you know, a lot of a lot of standing around. So maybe I'm reading too much into it, but is your issue not so much with any particular decision or any particular card, but more the the effect, the, the big impact VAR has on a football match? You mentioned, yeah. you know, plenty of standing around and, and people at home know, but people in the stadium have no idea what's going on a lot of the time. It doesn't matter whether you've got any idea. I just, look, I've said it before, you know, but some of it's self-inflicted because if we're going to go out there complaining about decisions every week, what's going to happen is what happened today, there'll be forensic sort of study of every decision that goes on out there. And I just think that's the way the game's going. I don't like it, but you know what, I'm, I could be a lone voice. I keep being told that that's uh, that's the way forward but you know I, I just you know when you look at how much standing around we need we had to do today um, I don't know maybe people enjoy that kind of thing I don't I'd rather see us playing football but just to push you a little bit any complaints at all about the Romero red or the Adoggy red no, I've already said that you know that's whatever decision they've made they've made at some point we've got to accept the referee's decision you know that's how I grew up yeah and I keep saying that and I said that last time you know, this constant erosion of referees' authorities, well, this is where the game's going to get. They're not going to have any authority and um, it's going to get diminished. And we're going to be in the control of somebody a few miles away watching a TV screen. So decision's a decision, you know. You, you either accept it or you don't. I've, I've always been in the camp. You accept it. I've had, some, trust me, in 26 years, I've had plenty of bad ones. I've had plenty that have fallen in my favour. It is what it is. Okay. Tactically, then, when you go down to 10 and then 9, I mean, almost every team we see that low block, mm. look for something on the break. You didn't do that. The high line stayed mm. at 10. It stayed at 9. Mm. What's the thinking there? It's just who we are, mate. It's just who we are. It's who we're going to be till, uh, as long as I'm here. And, and that, but that doesn't change. It doesn't get compromised at 10, at 10 or 9 men. Obviously not. We go down to 5 men, mate. We'll have a crack. I think if they go down to five men, Paul Curry, the match wouldn't continue. But. <laughs> Measured comments um, from uh, Ange Postacoglu. Mark Langdon, I have to come to you first. What was it like being uh, there at the stadium? <laughs> um, yeah, it was very confusing. Um, <laughs> it was all, I'm mean, just listening back to those uh, commentaries. It sort of fills in the, the gaps for you because, um, as I think it was alluded to there, really, when you're in the stadium, um, you know, you, you really are. Um, kind of guessing as to, as to what's going um, on. The atmosphere was fantastic. I don't know if that played its part in the, the two um, deserved red cards for, for the Tottenham 
um, players, Romero, um, who has been sort of calm for most of this season, um, sort of reverted to the bad old ways um, that we, we, we've seen from him previously. I mean, he was involved in a few things before the red card. Doggy, um, you know, cannot go flying in like that when he's already um, been yellow carded. But um, even sort of when it was at 2-1, 3-1, um, the, the, the crowd were, I, I would say, in terms of home crowd were, uh, very positive um, towards um, sort of the Tottenham efforts and also the kind of determination um, that Posse Cogley just spoke about there in terms of, um, you know, trying to still kind of, you know, be on the front foot even when there are 10 and, and 9 men. And I know that um, some people criticise that at sort of 9, that you, you can't play like that. My feeling is that if Tottenham would have played like that, with, uh, you know, defensively uh, with that low block, with nine players, with Eric Dyer and Hoiberg as centre-backs, then Chelsea would have found a way um, through them anyway. And playing the way they did, there was the Bentancourt chance, there was the Son chance, and there was also the Dyer um, just offside goal. So um, yeah, I, I, I sort of support the way that he, he tried to stay um, in the game. And I still don't really know what to make of, of Chelsea. It was a big test for them and a, a big win, but... Um, obviously, going you know playing against ten and then nine, um, difficult to to sort of still fully know where they are. We will get on to to Chelsea very shortly, but but Paul, just on on Ange's tactics there. I know Mark kind of said, listen, at least they they had a go. Would you agree with that, or do you think it was a bit naive on, on his part? I've spoken to a couple of people about this um, over the last twenty four hours, and it seems to be a real split between people of how they see it. I thought it was bonkers. Like I actually, I really thought it was bonkers, and I and for a couple of reasons. I think first and foremost, when you look at Chelsea this season, they've really struggled against teams who've sat on a low block and who've just sat in. Um, and I think by playing such a high line, you probably play into their hands a little more because if there's one thing that Chelsea have in abundance, it is pace. You saw Sterling. Mudrick wasn't brilliant when he came on, but he still offers a threat. Jackson is very quick, and you offered them a lot of space in behind. And if it was a better opposition, the likes of a Man City or Liverpool, all you need, Shane when somebody plays such a high line when there's no pressure on the ball is a well-timed run and a half-decent pass and you saw it with Cucurella when he got in mm. Chelsea's problem was they weren't able to execute enough times to actually get those players in behind and yes Tottenham when they get down to nine men maybe don't have too many options but I thought even when it was a ten men like the amount of chances that Chelsea were, were afforded because of that high line I couldn't get over it I just thought it played into their hands I guess Postacoglu and you have to I guess applaud him for you know sticking to his principles and wanting to play on the front foot but I thought you know particularly when Romero got sent off I thought Tottenham should have just sat in got to half time and maybe come out in the second half and had the same sort of approach I just feel when you play a high line against Chelsea you're probably playing into their hands and uh, listen when it goes to nine you know it, it probably didn't matter what formation mm. they played but particularly when it was ten I thought it was ludicrous. Dejan Kulisevsky, um, Mark, blamed Tottenham's inability to handle the wild emotion of the match as uh, Spurs fell to their, their first Premier League defeat under Ange. Do you agree with that? And, and does that show perhaps inexperience in the players uh, at this level? Uh, I, I think there's a, there's a fine line, isn't there, between kind of... The, and we've seen it with Newcastle quite a lot this season. You know, the St James's park crowd sort of helped them you think back to that Paris Saint-Germain game and it was it was like that inside the stadium obviously Pochettino coming back um I mean I think different players dealt with it differently um somebody like Brennan Johnson had a, a really good start in, in that game 
Um, you know, Tottenham were on the front foot, scored the early goal. I think it was just individuals, and um, the two that got sent off were the ones that um, sort of lost their their heads. Really, I don't think it was a, a collective um, in terms of Tottenham. Um, sort of losing their discipline, maybe like they did in that battle of Stamford Bridge um, a few years before that. But um, it, it was a you know a, a quite emotive um, evening. Um, you know, Pochettino's reception was. I mean, people really didn't mention him too much. He didn't get too much in in the way of booze, but it certainly added to the the, the pre-game atmosphere. And I, I think Romero. Like I say, he's been very good this season. hasn't sort of lost his his call, but um, he, even before the red card, there were one or two things he was he was doing even off the ball that you know he he, he needs to learn not to do that, and and that probably was in part down um, to the atmosphere. And I think Argentinians maybe do see uh, derbies um, sort of slightly differently. If, if anyone saw the Copa Libertadores mm. uh, <laughs> final um, on Saturday evening, it wasn't, you know, there, there, there was some pretty wild stuff going on there. So, I mean, there, there probably is just a bit of South American kind of flavour in there from from uh, Romero, who, um, yeah, I mean, he needs to get better, really, because he's a fantastic defender, but you can't, you can't go around behaving the way that he does. There was a lot of Gary Neville. Ooh. There, yeah, there was a lot of, it was like a soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> There's just been a few tasty tackles from that because I thought a doggy was blessed to still be on the pitch um, after the first tackle on Sterling. I was listening to Neville's comments and I completely agree that it shouldn't take for Sterling to jump out of the way yeah. or, or avoid a leg breaker for it not to be a red card. When you leave the the floor and you lead with two two feet, you're, you're asking for trouble. And the Romero one is an interesting one, isn't it? Like If you take that sort of aggression out of Romero, you probably lose half of the brilliance of the player because he is such an aggressive centre half but he does have to you know kind of keep it in a little more because he's been sent off four times now in his career at Tottenham that's just too many you can't you can't afford that from your centre halves and they're going to be really stretched now Shane particularly with Van de Ven going off injured that looks like it's going to be a couple of weeks people don't pull up with that sort of a terror and not escape uh, at least a bit of a time on the side on him. Romero would be such a massive loss. You look at the players that they had to to plug it. Dyer came in, Emerson Royale at centre half. That has to be a worry for Ange Postacoglu. Mm. Eric Dyer, the man that they tried to ship out, basically, but he will be a uh, um, interesting seat. There are scenes in Dortmund Newcastle because there are a new number of items being thrown onto the pitch, um, perhaps in some sort of protest. Uh, Dortmund are leading at the moment. It's one nil. 47 minutes played uh, as a tennis ball as well um, for those that might have been in the Viva Stadium perhaps <laughs> might remember such protests um, we'll keep you updated to see what that the referee is, is halted the match anyway um, speaking of referees then Mark Langdon uh, Ange mentioned that it's about trusting the referee that is how he was sorry th- there are numerous tennis balls on the pitch uh, now as well so it's, it's it's all happening in Germany at the moment um, Mark Langdon Ange was, was mentioned about trusting uh, the referee uh, like it's just the polar opposite of Mikel Arteta I suppose but like what did you make of those comments? Uh, I'm more on the Postacoglu side of things than the Arteta um, and, and the Arsenal statement particularly I mean I think they're, they're different though because I don't actually feel like Postacoglu could have had too many complaints with um, the sort of decisions of, of, of the game and you know Arsenal um, you know I think uh, Bruno Gimaraes should have definitely um, been sent off even even if you don't sort of 
you, know, you can pick apart the goal and was it or, or wasn't it? But um, you know, you could also say that Kai Havertz was was sent off. So I mean, Arteta was seeing it, you know, very one-eyed um, as most managers do, and it's always the easiest thing, isn't it, to blame um, officials rather than the fact that I think Arsenal only had one shot on target um, at, at St James's Park, which is obviously not what you'd, you'd, you'd expect of sort of a, a team with the amount of firepower that they've got in. Um, I think there is a, a, a problem, though. I think I, I think that maybe Howard Webb and the officials have gone too far. They've, they've apologised quite a few times this season, and I'm not sure that that actually does anybody any favours. Maybe the Liverpool one needed explaining, but, you know, um, I, I, I think they're, they're almost encouraging it um, now. And um, I don't I, I, I don't really see how what the end game is here, um, really, apart from um, people just continually moaning. And you're not they're not going to get rid of VAR because it will only take one... The first error, everyone will be going, well, we need to have the, the videos back. So um, it, it's not... It's, they're not going to get rid of it. I've tried most things to improve it, and um, I, I'm not sure where you go next. I would like to see the um, semi-automated offsides that works in the Champions League. It's not... It, it, it's not foolproof, and there have been complaints in Italy about were the lines thick enough for one very tight decision. But I, I, I kind of... I, I sort of like that process probably slightly more than the kind of Premier League version of it at the moment um, but um, you know I, I think managers have moaned about officials since day dot we've now just got to the stage where the the, the, the VAR decisions or whatever are, are kind of dominating the football chat and I, I think I've said this before I just think we need to hear less and see less of, of referees they're, they're not supposed to be the stars they're not, you're not supposed to know their names and yet we're kind of talking about them all the time at the moment and the referees are absolutely petrified at the moment you, you, you can, understandably yeah understandably mm. is, is right and I guess that, that feeds back to you know the moments where Diaz's goal was ruled out for, for Liverpool against Tottenham and there's been a couple of mistakes but it's taken them an absolute eternity to make decisions last night I, I think in the first half there might have been 12 minutes added on 10 to 12 minutes added yeah. on and then in the second half I'm not sure if you saw the, the dire chance but like yeah, it was close, but it, it took them four or five minutes to draw the lines for Dyer to be offside. And I, I thought it was blatantly obvious when you saw it back that he was at least a yard off. And uh, I guess that's sort of fr- that's frustrating from a fan's point of view because, particularly when you're in the ground, and I'm, I'm sure Mark would uh, echo this, it kills the momentum of the game, it kills the atmosphere within the ground. It sure does. I was looking when then twelve minutes went up in the first half. I was wondering how I was going to get home. I had trains to catch that were, uh, um, you know, were, were, were sort of not not that far after sort of what would be a normal full time. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, you can't, you you should not be standing around for four or five minutes, um, you know, while while the decision is picked apart. Uh, absolutely. One man's tennis balls is another man's fake gold bars. For what I thought on the screen ahead of me were tennis balls, they're uh, apparently fake gold bars being uh, To be on. fair, there were tennis balls as well. Thank you, Paul. You've, you've, got, you've got me covered. So it's no, no fake news and game on. Um, OK, perhaps that might be a turning point in Chelsea's uh, season. Um, let us chat about Champions League uh, because there is a full set of matches. Uh, as I mentioned, Dortmund 1-0 up against Newcastle. Uh, let it go Celtic, Mark Langdon. Um, it was uh, an entertaining affair in Celtic Park. Uh, I always feel when Celtic you know, nearly get the result in Celtic Park and then there's a kind of proceeding... Um, away fixture then mm. it, it all falls apart 
yeah. Um, a, a deal, you know, the home form hasn't been great um, in the Champions League but, uh, and, and in Europe, but usually competitive away from home. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a big struggle no matter who the uh, manager is. And I, I expect it to be um, an, an, another one um, this evening because Atletico got a lot of quality um, in, in all areas of the pitch. Don't always kind of attack with maybe as much as um, sort of, you know, your Man Cities or, or sort of even um, sort of Barcelona's and Paris Saint-Germain's, but um, they've got quality in that in that final third. Um, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, everything that could go wrong for Celtic did go wrong um, in, in that game against Feyenoord. Um, and if they are to, you know, to have any sort of chance really of extending um, sort of their run in Europe. It's probably not going to be in in this game where where the points come from. I, I would have thought you know better opportunities in the next two. Okay, uh, there was a lot of talk whether or not Erling Haaland will be starting for Manchester City. Paul Curry, you have team news for us. I'll run through a few now. Shane Edison and goal: Kanji, Stones, Diaz, Gavardiol, Kovacic, Lewis, Nunes, Foden, Grealish, Haaland. And that was a game. I watched that game in, in the reverse fixture when they beat Young Boys 3-1 and genuinely Haaland could have had four or five that night. Yeah. And had he been a little more clinical in front of goal, he, he, he could have. And I would expect if this game is to play out in any way, shape or form like the last one, I would expect him to, to score a handful tonight, Shane. I'm going to go for a Haaland hat-trick in that one and an easy Man City win. OK, uh, time is against us, so we're just going to briefly flick through the other matches. Mark, uh, Milan, PSG, how is that going to unfold? Yeah, really big game. I'm going to go for Paris Saint-Germain uh, to win. Milan not been in, in great form um, and PSG have picked up in recent weeks. Milan, fourth place, only two points. Um, where else? Just update your sector. Donetsk are still leading Barcelona 1-0 uh, as well. Uh, Lazio, Feyenoord, Paul, I'm just throwing matches at you. Eeny, meeny, money, mo. Um, Feyenoord are going well in that group. Mm. They've, they've won two from their three, and it is probably a situation where you're looking at Feyenoord, Atletico Madrid, and Lazio being very tight at the top of that group. I'll just go with the home form in that game, Shane. I, th- I think Lazio, difficult side to play against, and uh, I'll go for a home win. Okay, they're in Celtic's group. We're, we're doing this uh, convoluted way. So in Manchester City's group, then Red Star, Leipzig, Mark, who's going to win? Uh, I mean, Leipzig have not been in great form, but they are considerably better than than Red Star. So you would imagine that they'd have enough to to get get the three points. Okay, and then Porto Antwerp is the final match. I'll take that myself. I'm going for a home win, Porto. That is all we've uh, time for. Just uh, the protest because I'm a massive fan of of fan culture here. Uh, the Dortmund fans uh, unveiled the banner. You don't care about this sport. All you care about is money. So that is in relation to the Champions League reform um, as well. Uh, and interestingly, that they're playing against the team. That aren't sh- short of a few, Bob, as well. Mark Langdon, Paul Corey, thank you both very, very much uh, for chatting uh, football. Um, our basketball <coughs> competition winner is Michelle Cahalan, I should say. You have won yourself uh, two tickets to Ireland versus France on Sunday, so we will be in touch. That is all we have time for. Better the Silva is up next. The brilliant Better the Silva. Great tunes on the way. Stay tuned to 2FM. Uh, we are back at 6 o'clock tomorrow. Big thanks to Laura Lee and Andrew for working on today's show. From all of the Game On team, it is bye for now.